0: Hey, uh, would you help me welcome all of our first-time guests, whether you are here in the room or those of you online. So glad to have you with us today as well. So as you can tell, we started something last week that's a little new, uh, talking about where God is taking us as a church family. We're calling it Beyond. And if you want to ask why we're doing it, hopefully you caught some of that in the video. That is that we have grown to a church of over 2,000 people in just the last five years. And uh, you are in our emptiest Sunday service. If you look around the room, what does that tell you? we've been having to add chairs and other services just to, to be able to get people into the building. And the part I'm most excited about, I love that you clapped when you read the salvation number. But I have to tell you, that video is a couple weeks old. And what that means is either today or definitely by next week, but most likely today we will have seen 1,000 people give their lives to Jesus here. Come on, that's worth celebrating. And again, if you are a guest or you're here for the first time, we're not trying to make much of Grace Life any more than any other church. I wish every church would be experiencing that. Uh, We're simply trying to be good stewards of what God is doing, and God is moving. And so look, I know the reality, and I hope you do too. A building is nothing more than a tool. It's, it's a bunch of steel and sheetrock and maybe carpet, I don't even know. But it's, it's just a tool. But what I've learned in life is having the right tool can help you get the job done the right way. And God has given us a job, and that is to reach as many people as we can, to take as many people to heaven with us as we can. And the truth is, we're not gonna be able to see another thousand people if we don't make room for those people. And so that is, that is what we're doing. We are calling it beyond because we're getting that out of Ephesians 3.20. If I could share this with you, I will do this every week. It was just on the screen. And it says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. I want you to think about that for a minute. Far more abundantly beyond, and I'm going to remind you every week, if you put that in an English paper, you will not get an A. You cannot say far more abundantly beyond in English and get away with it. So how did it make the Bible? It made the Bible because that's our best English attempt to explain the Greek word that has a better description of God. And that is that we will start with a reasonable expectation, but God goes to considerable excess to an extraordinary degree beyond what we can come up with. And that's what this is all about, because I want to be a church where God does considerable excess to an extraordinary degree beyond what I could think. Let me tell you what I can think. I could think he could save a thousand people in five years. What if he went to considerable excess to an extraordinary degree if there was room? That's what I want to be as a church. And the second purpose for this series is because that's what I want each of our individual lives to be. I want people to look at you and me as the people of God on the earth and see that God goes to considerable excess to an extraordinary degree in fulfilling his own purpose for you and me. And so uh, that brings us to our six-week journey. We started last week. Today is part two of that. It does include our weekend messages uh, that we'll be preaching. It also has all of our life groups centered on the Beyond material. If you go to one of our life groups, you get one of the Beyond books. And then those, it includes uh, all of the daily devotionals so that you can be taking a daily journey over the next six weeks with what God is doing to move each of us in our own lives to fulfill the vision vision that he has for us as well as what we can do as a church to have an impact in our community. If you were here last week, we had these on all of the seats. We didn't do it again because most of you do have them, but if you didn't get one, they're in the lobby. And this is simply a brochure explaining the project and the timeline and what we are doing as a church. And so, since we're on part two, it's time for me to prepare your hearts for two big moments that are gonna take place during this series. Uh, and that'll be week five and week six. On week five, which will be February 29th and March 3rd for our Thursday and Sunday services, that is our commitment weekend. That is where we are actually going to say, I believe this is what God has put on my heart to be a part of this. And I do want to go ahead and tell you, if you're a guest here and you're not sure if Grace Life is your church or if, if this is something you want to be a part of, that's okay. That, that, that's another journey you can take. Matter of fact, One thing that I've been trying to make sure everybody knows throughout this series, if you don't feel led to be a part of of the building campaign side of this, you don't need to skip church for six weeks. What we're preaching is going to be just as applicable to what God wants to do in your life. The preaching is moving you, and then hopefully that'll apply to us as a church. You understand it's kind of a double-layered thing. You don't have to skip church. And so what we will do if you're in one of the life groups, you'll get to talk about what God is doing in your, your life and And uh, be a part of that one of the things though that we are gonna do at some point is come together and and actually say this is what God's put on my heart and I want to assure you if you've ever been a part of a church building campaign and you had a negative experience or you got letters in the mail that told you you were behind we don't do that we don't do that at Grace Life we're not gonna come knock on your door we're never going to to say you're behind you got to catch up or whatever that story is and so you may say well then what's the point Well, the point is because we all procrastinate I don't know about you but I always studied for a test the night before the test sometimes nah, on the bus on the way to school kind of thing right we just procrastinate and we would all love to see that happen but at some point we need to actually begin you're with me and so one of the things that we need is a deadline to talk to God that's what commitment weekend is about it is a deadline for you to talk to God and if you're married Talk to your spouse. Don't do this without your spouse. Get together, you, your spouse, and God, and say, what do we feel God's calling us to do to help make room to reach more people? And then the sixth weekend of the series, well, that's where we actually are going to begin. Uh, We're going to begin giving, and that is what we're calling our Going Beyond Offering. Uh, We're we're praying for something really big that weekend. We're praying for a million dollars to get started on the project. And uh, like we said, far more abundantly beyond because I can't do a million. I don't know if you can, but maybe if we all come together and have faith, we'll see what God can do. If you wonder what is the point to that or why do we need to do that, because we actually want to finish this building, that means we want to start the renovation, the expansion in this building this year as soon as we can. So that's going to require more architectural work, engineering, permitting, as well as we'd like to do as much of this building in cash as possible. And, and you may say, well, wait a minute, what is this building? I don't know if you know this, but when you come in here on a Sunday, uh, we, the building is big. But we're only using a small part of it. There's 45,000 square feet we haven't renovated or touched yet. And all of that is going to be additional nurseries, kid spaces, and youth space. And uh, before we can have a whole lot of seats for adults, we need to have a place for their children. And uh, we, uh, so like I said, we want to finish out this building before we knock a hole in the wall and start the new building next door. And so that is what our Going Beyond offering is for. Uh, so we can get started. Because if you don't start, you don't get done. Everybody with me? Yeah. All right. Well, with that being said, let's get back to our messages. We began the series last week talking about how God has a vision for your life. We all loved hearing that. God has a vision for your life. God created you. He put talents and skills inside of you that are different from the person beside you. You're not supposed to be like the person beside you. You are supposed to be a holy version of you, the person who is most like Jesus, to do what God called you to do, what he created you to do here on the earth. And everybody loved that message, went away happy. And so now it leads us to start asking the next question, which is, okay, if God's got a vision for my life, how do I see it become a reality? What steps do I need to take? And so that is the rest of the series. Each week we'll take one step in figuring out how to make God's vision for our lives a reality. And today we're, going to, uh, we're just gonna go ahead and jump in the deep end of the pool with a key truth. If you want to experience God's vision for your life, you will have to surrender something. If you want to live fully God's vision for your life, you will have to surrender something. It may be the plans you have. That's my story. When I got saved, I knew God had a different path for me. It was a different career, a different place to live, a different everything. None of what was in my mind is what God had in mind. Had to surrender my plans. For some of you, it's gonna be surrendering your control. Ooh, come on, I know I just stepped on some toes in here, everybody. For some of you, it's going to be surrendering priorities, or it may be surrendering something you love very, very much. Matter of fact, what I was just kind of pointing to a minute ago, if you've been at Grace Life any period of time, you've heard me make a joke about how much I never wanted to live in South Carolina. I'm from South Carolina. I did everything I could to get out of here. I'd like to tell you a little more of that story today. You see, one of the things that I like to do is to pray things over my life that I believe God has spoken or that God wants for my life. And I really love it when I see those in Scripture. And so actually in my journal, I've got quite a few Scriptures every day that I pray over my life. That I say, God, I would love to see that fulfilled. And one of those Scriptures comes out of Acts 14. And I believe it's what I want God to do, but I believe it's also what God wants to do through my life. And it describes how Paul and Barnabas spoke in such a way that both Jews and Greeks believed and responded to the message. And you may say, Why in the world would you pray for Jews and Greeks? You live in South Carolina, Jimmy, you know. Well, let me put it in context. For them, Jews meant the people of God. For me today, that means church people. Greeks meant not the people of God. For me today, that means all the people out there we want to make room for. And so what I, I wanted God to do in my life, I didn't just want to be a church person that was good hanging around with his club. And I also didn't want to be separated from the church, only able to connect with lost people what I wanted God to do was something that I thought was well what he did in Scripture 2,000 years ago and and that is to give me an ability to to prod and challenge church people but at the same time to be able to reach those who aren't sure they want to be a part of the church and here's the funniest thing so God raised me here in South Carolina heart of the Bible Belt going to church two to three times a week even on vacation that makes me one of you if you're a church person and because of that i'm able to prod you a little bit make you uncomfortable challenge you a little bit because you need to know that going to church is not the ticket to go to heaven and god's got a different thing for our lives than just showing up looking good for an hour a week and so i do things that sometimes might not make you real happy and step on your toes a little bit but often you just laugh at me and let me get away with it because i'm one of you and at the same time I was also an incredibly cynical, skeptical kid. I made my algebra teacher cry because she could not adequately answer the question, why should I do my homework? Because you said so? Who made you God? Last time I checked, you're just an algebra teacher, so I don't have to do it. Yeah, you can imagine what I was like. And because I did grow up in the Bible Belt in church, I was also a little skeptical of the people who just tried to look good an hour a week, but I knew that wasn't who they really were now if I live somewhere else I'm not sure that I would have the impact that I have but because I understand people who live in the Bible Belt and being skeptical of church and because I understand people in the Bible Belt who go to church I think I am uniquely positioned by God to live where I don't want to live but to do exactly what God's vision is for my life and I can tell you that if I was in another culture I would probably get in a whole lot of trouble for some of the things that I say and do when my wife and I agreed to surrender living in South Carolina and say, God, whatever you want. What he did through our lives and how much more effective our ministry became, well, it's honestly not something we could have imagined. The question is, have you ever had a moment like that? Can you look back at your life right now and say, if I had not surrendered that, I would not be experiencing this. Actually, the whole point of our message today is because some of you might say, no, actually, Jimmy, the opposite is true. I I feel stuck. Everybody keeps talking about God has a vision for your life. God has a great purpose for your life. Well, mine just feels like I'm just working and trying to pay the bills, man. This doesn't even feel important to me. And I'd say it's very possible that today's message is for you because here's the truth we can't get away from. When God asks you to surrender something, it will be a make or break moment for your life and God's vision. When God asks you to surrender something, It will be a make or break moment for your life in God's vision. And some of us here today are still on the break side of that. So if you're frustrated, I'm glad you're here because today we're on our second step of this journey. We have God's vision or we're at least seeking God for his vision. And now we're going to have to deal with the challenge to surrender when God asks. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to be looking at a large passage there today, so it'll be worth your time to turn there. Uh, but don't worry, everybody. i will also be on the screen as we uh, go along. But I want to set the stage while you're turning there, Genesis 22. Let me remind you where we are. We began last week with a guy named Abraham, except at the time his name was still Abram. And God showed up out of the blue, if we could say it that way, and said, Abram, I've got a plan for your life. I've got a vision. Matter of fact, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, You're going to have to move. I've actually got a whole oceanfront place in the world just for you and all your descendants. And speaking of your descendants, you're going to have so many of them, it's going to be like trying to count the sand or the stars if you could. Now, the only problem when God spoke this vision to Abraham, he was 75. His wife was equally old, and she had been barren when she was young. So he had no kids. He had no way for this vision to come to pass. But God dropped this vision in his heart and he knew it was from God so he believed he believed and he believed and for 25 years nothing happened and then at hundred years old miraculously God gives him the son through which all of this is going to happen and his name is Isaac we're gonna pick up the story today maybe about 10 years after that 8 10 12 we don't really know Isaac is a young boy and we're in Genesis chapter 22 and it says after these things everything we just talked about God tested Abraham and said to him Abraham and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Whoa. That's a little heavy, isn't it? Matter of fact, when I preach this, I always like to stop and explain because I remember growing up in church, and the first time I heard this story, I thought, I'm not sure I like that God. And you may be asking the question, how can God ask Abraham to do something so ungodly? How can God legitimately test Abraham with something that is evil? Like that just doesn't seem right, does it? Well, let me make sure we all understand the context of what is happening. Remember, Abraham is really at the beginning of God's interactions with human history. There was Adam and Eve. They kind of messed things up, kind of went along for a little while. And then Abraham, man, we're seeing Abraham by just Genesis chapter 12. And we're just, he's just the first one to start to discover anything about God. He doesn't have any of this. This will be written by Moses later, at least the first part of it. He doesn't doesn't know anything about this God or who this God is or the difference between godly and ungodly. He doesn't know. What Abraham does know is the world that he lives in. And the world Abraham lives in was a very messed up world. It was a very pagan world. God didn't have a people upon the earth yet. That was gonna start with Abraham. And so all Abraham knew was to do what everybody else did. And all of the pagan cultures upon the earth at that time, it was a normal practice for them to offer a sacrifice in worship to their gods. And sadly, very sadly, humanity had decided that sacrificing children was one of the greatest acts they could do of worship. So when God came to Abraham and asked him to do this, he was only asking him to do something that would have been a normal worship practice in his mind. And, spoiler alert, everybody, if you are at church for the first time, it's not going to happen. God's not going to let him kill his son. So spoiler alert. So God is not going to lead him to do an evil act, but God is going to ask him to do something that would have been a normal act of worship to show, do you love your son or do you love me? Does everybody understand God's not a bad God for asking this now? Are we good? We can go on? Let's keep going. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took his fire, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself. God will provide for himself, the lamb, for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And although I I just told you, Abraham doesn't really know anything about God, He's going to begin to discover something on the journey. It's amazing how good this piece of theology was that Abraham shared with us right here. And I want to make sure we all understand some good theology. God will provide for himself. Here's what that means. God doesn't need you or anything you have to accomplish his purpose. I'm glad some of you are getting this. God doesn't need you or anything you have to accomplish his purpose. If And when God asks you to give or to do anything, it's about your surrender, not his inability to provide. When God asks you to give or do anything, he's given you an opportunity to be a part of what he's doing on the earth so that your life will have meaning and eternal significance. Doesn't need you. He's given you a chance to do something valuable. The truth is, We don't have to do or give anything for God's purpose to be accomplished. The Bible makes it very clear. If you and I, who are created to worship him, do not worship him, the rocks will cry out in our place. I mean, just imagine that. Walk out in your yard and look at your little landscaping pebbles, and they all start going, praise God. For the record, you better get on your knees, because they are outdoing you. Not a good address. Woo! Look, when God invites you to be part of something he's doing, it's for you. It's for your life to have eternal significance. Abraham got it. I hope we do. Let's keep going. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I cannot read this story without wondering how many years of counseling Isaac had to go through after this moment. (laughs) By his horns, And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. The question, of course, for the whole story is, why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? And the answer is equally kind of obvious, to test him. He even told us at the beginning, God tested Abraham. But the real question for you and me today as we try to apply this to our lives is, why does God test us? Why does God test us? And that answer is also a little obvious, but very important, because you and I need to decide, will we fully surrender our lives and everything we have to him or not? You and I need to decide, will we fully surrender everything in our lives and everything we have to him or not? And until God tests you you're not sure of the answer. So what I'd like to share with you today as I look at Scripture and all the stories that I see of what God has done in his interactions with people, it, it seems that he's going to come into our lives and test us to ask us to surrender in three areas, three things that he's looking for to see if we'll surrender in these areas. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, my favorite teachers were the ones who said, now let me help you prepare for tomorrow's test. Let me tell you what I'll be asking. Because I'm really good at repeating stuff. You just tell me what I need to repeat, I can repeat it, right? And so I want to give you a heads up on what God is doing, has done, and will do in your life. If you have, you'll see maybe some of these and go, oops, I think I failed one or two of those. Don't worry, God never lets you just drop out of school. He'll come back around, and now you'll know what to be looking for. And for some of you, this might be the first time that you ever experience some of these. So I got three areas for you of how God tests our surrender. First one is, God wants to be first. Go figure. God wants to be first. And so God will come into your life to test what actually is your first priority. What is your highest priority? Is there anything in your life that comes before God that you won't let go of? That's what God is going to be testing. And if we're not careful, God's vision for our lives, God's gift for our lives, and doing what God wants can actually become more important than God himself. We would all say, oh, I would give anything to God. If if God came and asked me, I would surrender anything and everything. And we all believe that grandiose idea about ourselves. I wish it were true. But I'll tell you this, if God doesn't come first in the smallest things of your life, you definitely can't give him the biggest. So let's just start with the little stuff. Does God come first in the most practical everyday things that you do? For example, is God first in your time or in your schedule? You know, life is busy. Life is so busy. If you're not busy, you can come talk to me in the hallway afterwards, and and I'd just love to know what you do for a living. Life is busy. And there's always more to do than we can do. So the question is, what gets cut? You run all week. You're working. You work overtime. You stay up late getting projects done, or you stay up late getting a paper done for school or whatever. Saturday comes, your kids have 17 birthday parties. And then Sunday morning comes, and you think, ah... Honey, let's just rest in. I'll catch a podcast on the way to work on Monday. This is a true story. This happened last service. A couple came in here in the last service. They usually come in the first service, and they came to me in the hallway. They said, so we had this project we had to do at work, and we were trying to get it done, so we went over to the studio, and we were watching the first service where you called us out for skipping church. (laughs) So we locked the studio, and we ran over here so that we could actually worship. Praise God. Maybe you just work so hard, you got so much going on, you're so tired, when it comes time to get up and pray or talk to God in the morning, read the Bible, you're just like, ah, I'll get that done later. Has anybody in here ever called your boss and said, I'm sorry I'm gonna be late to work today because I've gotta have my first priority, I've gotta talk to God before I can come to work? No hands? How about this? Is God first in your thinking? Are you having conversations with God about what you think? Are you driving to work and saying, God, what do you feel about that person who just cut me off in traffic? Because I'll tell you what I feel about them, (laughs) but, but what do you want me to think about them? Are you allowing God to change your perspectives and to challenge you on how you interpret your experience in this world? Do you allow things in your mind that may actually separate you from God? The Bible tells us, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. But if we don't let God be first in our thoughts, then we're going to rule our thoughts and the way we think is going to continue to make us who we are. How about this one? Is he first in your relationships? Do you maybe have a relationship in your life or you're a part of a relationship right now that you know God has told you not to be in and yet you're still there? Is God the center of your marriage? Look, I just saved some of y'all a whole lot of marriage counseling right there. If your spouse's problems... Is the center of your marriage, you need to fix that. Get Jesus in there. Do you have some friendships where you are uncomfortable being bold for Jesus? I don't know, maybe that's not the friendships you need. How about this one? Is he first in your budget? For too many of us, it's pretty common to run out of money before we run out a month. Y'all know what I'm saying. What gets cut? Look, let me just sum it up like this. Is there any part of your life that you know God is not your highest priority, that something else comes first. If you do know that, whatever just came to mind, watch out. A test is coming soon. God's coming after that thing. Will you surrender it? The second area where God is going to test us for surrender is God wants to be God. God wants to be God. This is the question of authority. Who is actually in charge? And God is going to come and test who is actually in charge of your life. How often do you do what God says despite what you want? Because that will actually tell you who the authority is in your life. I learned an important principle when I was about 22 years old. I've learned to live by it since then, but it was a bit of an embarrassing and painful experience i was about 22 years old i had just moved to romania to be a part of a church planting team there and i learned this principle that authority is not tested until you disagree let me tell you how i learned that when i was in college i'd had a renewal experience with jesus the church that i'd gone to blew my mind with with what god was doing there and what god was doing in my life and and because of that I saw that church as as idyllic and, and perfect and, and I thought the pastor was amazing and perfect it was like father son Holy Spirit pastor you know and I mean like could do no wrong whatever he said whatever he preached what I mean everything was just amazing but when I went off to Romania the the people leading the team well they weren't quite in the same spot in my mind and some of their ideas weren't quite as good in my, my opinion and since I was 22 and a little arrogant and a little brash, I thought that I should just tell everybody where they were wrong and where I was right. And one of the team leaders very quickly took me aside and said, Jimmy, you have an authority problem. And I thought, you don't know me at all. Go ask my scoutmaster. Go ask my band director. And most of all, go ask my pastor who just knew me. He'll tell you I don't have an authority problem. I am always under authority. And he said to me, no, no. You weren't under authority. You just agreed with everything you said and did. Authority isn't tested until you disagree. That's when you will find out who is the God of your life. You see, when was the last time you went against your own will to do something God said? When was the last time you forgave somebody? Not because it felt like you wanted to, but because God said to. When was the last time you gave even though you wanted to keep it? When was the last time you made a moral change, even though, truth be told, you really still wanted to keep living that way or doing that thing? Here's the truth. You cannot live God's vision for your life as long as you are your own God. Those are competing gods. You cannot live God's vision for your life as long as you are your own God. And God will come to test you to see if you'll surrender your authority. Will you surrender your authority to him? Because authority is a surrender test that we must all pass, and you will not move on to the next step of this journey without it. Matter of fact, can you just imagine yourself being 42 years old in high school? Imagine being 42 years old in high school. You know it would not actually be that hard for this to happen. You wouldn't even have to be stupid to make that happen. Let me tell you how it could happen. Freshman year, you go to PE class, and the teacher says, dress out. And you look at the uniforms, and you smell the locker room, and you say, no, thank you. I am not dressing out. Well, here's the problem. If you don't dress out in PE, you will not pass PE class. And here in South Carolina, as well as most every state in the United States, without a PE credit, you don't graduate high school. And so you could end up going back to high school every single day, going to PE every single day, simply saying, nope not going to do it, I'm in charge. And that is where many of us are in fulfilling God's vision for our lives. Because there is something that God has asked you to surrender and make him God. And you have said, nah, I don't think so. God is God. But is he your God? And that takes us to the third area of our lives that God is gonna test, because God wants our hearts. God wants our hearts, and so he will test our devotion to see if we will surrender what actually has the affection of our hearts. And I want you to know, this is important, the things that compete for your devotion with God aren't just worldly, ungodly things. Sometimes they're good and godly things. God is the one who came to Abraham and said, I've got a vision for your life. It was God's vision. God is the one who said, you're gonna need Isaac and I'm gonna give you Isaac and he's gonna be your son. But even though it was God's vision and God's gift, Abraham fell in love with his son. And so God came to test his devotion. The only way that this word can come true is through Isaac. He's the only one you've got. Do you love my plan for you? Or do you love my gift to you more than you love me? Here's the truth. Devotion is most revealed by what you will not surrender. Did y'all get that one? That was of an amen. You just didn't give it. Because what happened and the reason you didn't say amen is something came to mind. You realized at that moment something you've been devoted to, probably. Because devotion is most revealed by what we will not surrender. And that will tell you what has the attention and affection of your heart. But let's finish the story, everybody, because something good happens we need to know about. In verse 15, it says, The angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven. Remember the first time he said, Whoa, whoa, stop it. And now he says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, what did he do? He surrendered Because you have surrendered and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Let me translate that. God just said, what I had planned to do for you, Now I can do, because you're fully surrendered. What I had planned to do through you, yeah, now I can do, because you're fully surrendered. And see, this is a piece of theology that's honestly, in our world today, gone a little astray. There are many people that think just because God intended it, I can live any way I want, and it'll still be okay. But that's not what I see in Scripture. Matter of fact, time and time again in Scripture, and I'm going to say it this way, so many times in Scripture, it happens this way. I cannot give you an example of it happening the other way. And here's what I mean. God will come to someone and say, here's what I have planned for your life. Here's what I have planned to do through you. And you know what the next word always is? If. If only. Perfect example would be like going and reading First and Second Kings and Chronicles and the stories of all the kings and God time and time again. He has to keep... Tra- Okay, listen, you and your sons will never cease to sit on my throne, if only. And then they didn't do it. God comes to the next, you and your sons now get a chance to always sit on my throne, if only. God came to Noah, you can save all of the world. If only you'll build a boat for a thing you've never heard of called rain. (laughs) Came to Moses, you could set my people free if only comes to Abraham you can do this if only he goes to Paul blinds him on the road and says you can change the world if only see here's the reality God does have a vision for your life God has a plan for your life but you can't do it and leave God behind God has to be first God has to be God and God has to have your devotion Let me leave you with it. Thought this way, the extent of our surrender will determine the extent of our impact. The extent of our surrender will determine the extent of our impact. If you are at a point in life where you say, I feel stuck. I don't think God's having much impact through me. I think all the things God said he would do many years ago, or I believed he would do, or I hoped he would do, it's just not happening. There's a surrender piece that's missing. And you need to ask God, where did I refuse to surrender to you? I'm pretty sure he'll answer that question for you. I've got another story I'd like to share with you of what God is doing along these lines in somebody's life. So if you would, turn your attention to the screen.
1: My name is Jermaine Simone. I've been coming to Grace Life uh, since 2019. 2019, we were looking for a church, my wife and I and the family. We were traveling an hour away at another church serving, really full-time as volunteers there, and we just felt God redirection again. And my dad, uh, he was already coming to Grace Life Church, and he said, hey, you need to check this church out. For my dad to get really excited about a church, that meant a lot to me uh, because I really trust him. And uh, I can remember my first day at Grace Life. the, The thing that stuck out to me was how loving and how authentic the people were. So I knew God was calling me to ministry um, at the age of 15 when I got saved. I'm the type of person that loves to serve. I want to serve the Lord and serve as much as I can and use my gifts for Him. Certain churches I served in, it was just God uh, would always lead me either to a different church in uh, in serving that area or another church. So there was, you know, two or three churches I've served in prior to coming to Grace Life Church. You know, I have wanted to do what he called me to do earlier on in life, but uh, it wasn't time. He was using that time to develop me. And that development stage can be very frustrating. And you don't see it as a development stage or or a stage that you need to help you grow to do the ministry he's calling you to do. Uh, So those growth pains were very frustrating. The redirection of what you What He's calling you to do is always, or sometimes, is a redirection to get there, and it's not the way I thought it would be. So it was just the unknown, the faith part of trying to uh, fulfill the call that God has in my life. When I begin to serve here at Grace Life Church, uh, the leadership here, they do not look at pedigree, degree. They look at character. They look at, you know, who you are uh, as a person with God. You know, and that really made a, a huge difference. I started on the greeter team, then helped out with coffee and communion for a while, and then started serving in G Kids, and ended up leading. And that was pretty funny because we call that the small church. And just to see God move in that area, salvations that were taking place in a small church was just awesome to see. Never did I think I would become a pastor and get ordained here at Grace Life Church. And not only that, I never thought uh, that I would actually be doing my dream job which is to, you know, use my giftings and call them to work for a church and fulfill God's calling in my life.
0: You ever experienced some of the words he used? God redirecting your life, developmental phases. The part that most, I think, signifies what we're talking about today didn't even make the story. You see, there was a point early on uh, that I knew Jermaine was meant by God to be a part of our pastoral team, which he is today, obviously, and very grateful for that. But I knew that he also had a surrender test and God wouldn't let me get in the way. So when he first started coming to Grace Life, I just hoped he would pass. I just let him hang out on the serve team, just let him do what he felt he needed to do, and he made an appointment with me one day, and he shared with me that God had called him into ministry at 15, and I knew that that was important. Then he told me he'd been offered a job at another church as a pastor. And so I had to say, I got nothing for you, man. You had to surrender to God, You had to hear from Him. It's the hardest thing that each of us will go through is to take the thing that we love the most, the thing that we even think might be the godliest and the most important moment in our lives, like Isaac. Matter of fact, let me say it this way. For Jermaine to turn down what he thinks is the only opportunity for Abraham to put Isaac on an altar, tied down. If you have not come to the point in your life where you feel like you are trusting God but at the same time saying no to the very thing that you've dreamed of your whole life and there's probably something that you have to be fully surrendered in your life in that moment well it's going to come and you're gonna have to hear from God you have to trust God what is God asking you to surrender so that you can fully live the vision that he has for you. Let me pray for us. God, we come before you right now to be people who are surrendered. So we come to ask you, would you speak to each one of us, whatever is in our lives that we have put before you that we are not willing to surrender to you. I pray right now that things would just begin to pop into our mind. We'll hear you clearly showing us, speaking to us And God, then we we just want to confess, we want to be people who will surrender. God, would you help lead us and would you help us be people by your grace who are willing to lay down anything that would get in the way of you and what you want to do in our lives. We want to be people who are fully surrendered to you because you are good and your plan is good. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. I think the greatest example of surrender is that of Jesus see the problem for you and me is we've all been separated by God every single one of us has sinned so God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life and he surrendered to come to dwell amongst sinful humanity to live in the flesh but the greatest act of surrender was when he said, I lay down my life of my own choice. When he chose to willingly suffer an excruciating death on the cross for you and me. And why would he do that? Well, because of that sin, you and I could never pay for our sins and have fellowship with God. We could only pay for our sins and be eternally separated from him. And that is why Jesus surrendered his life on the cross. Because when his blood was shed and his body was broken, it paid for sins. Certainly it did. He just didn't have any of his own. So it paid for yours and mine. And the same power that brought him out of the tomb and raised him to life, he offers us eternal life. We call this the free gift of salvation. But if you've never received this gift, if you've never surrendered the life you've been living for the one he has for you, I wanna help you do that right now, wherever you are. Would you simply pray and say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so today, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. Thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit? And give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?